Um, I'm trying to concentrate on the Hubble, though, since because I think children will know what that is. Yes. And I'm wondering if you could describe in a, in a way they would understand what, what is the Hubble telescope. So I know you've heard me talk a lot about the Hubble Space Telescope on the show. I know, maybe you're like, Dean, okay, I get it. Enough about the Hubble Telescope. We know you love the Hubble Telescope. We'll send you cards and presents and all that stuff. But listen, astronomers wouldn't be talking about this thing all the time if it wasn't really cool. I guess that's it. The astronomers really wanted it very much so, and it was, a, it was clearly going to be a useful instrument. And that's Nancy Grace Roman, the person who is known as the mother of the Hubble Telescope. And she is the subject of this new kid's book, Her Eyes Were on the Stars, from Jennifer Summer. From the studios of Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm your host, Dean Regas, and this is Looking Up. A show that takes you deep into the cosmos, or just to the telescope in your backyard to learn more about what makes this amazing universe of ours so great. So the Hubble Space Telescope uh, launched in 1990. At NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida, aboard Space Shuttle Discovery. The telescope itself is massive. It's, you know, the size of a school bus, and it was launched in the back of the space shuttle way back when the space shuttle was working. All capable of beaming real-time data back to Earth for analysis by scientists. And so this telescope has just had this longevity, and to get a telescope built, number one is something that takes years, decades longer. As centuries passed, telescopes became larger and more powerful able to observe far beyond the limits of our eyes. Getting Congress to fund it is also incredibly difficult, and it turns out to be one of the most amazing scientific instruments ever created. Yeah. There's some good ones. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm excited to talk about your book. And, um, you know, so what kind of got you into this as the subject matter? And, you know, where did your passion for astronomy start? I was writing for children, um, children's librarian, looking for subjects. And at that time, STEM was very big, getting very big. Biographies of women who were unknown was very big. And I happened to be watching Nova on PBS. Right now. On Nova. And it was about the Hubble telescope. And they mentioned the mother of Hubble. Who I'd never heard of. And they said Nancy Grace Roman. I, I've never heard of her. So that started my interest. And I started researching her online. And I thought, oh, well, this could, this could be a good subject for a children's book. You know, she's not really known. But I knew she was probably getting kind of old. <laughs> because she was working in 1959. I saw it at NASA. So I started looking her up and saw, yeah, she was listed on the NASA website, and she had an email. So I called her, and we had our first telephone interview. Well, thank you again so much for talking to me. Um, I'm trying to write a children's picture book. Yes, that's what you said in your in your letter. 
And so when you talked to her, how old was she? How old? Uh, she was 91 at that point. Is it okay to call you Nancy Grace? Yes. How does she become the mother of the Hubble uh, Space Telescope? Because that's a big title. <laughs> what what uh, what was her role in this? And what, her, her role? Um, now, I've heard that you've been called the mother of Hubble. Is this true? Yes. <laughs> well, when she got to NASA, she asked all the astronomers what they wanted from her. I got together a group of astronomers from all over the country with a wide range of interests and a group of NASA engineers and had them sit down together and try to come up with something that the astronomers thought would do what they needed to do and the engineers thought would be doable. So what did they really want to accomplish? And they said they wanted a space telescope. And that was the beginning of the design of the Tazza Hubble. Which she knew at that time was impossible. Well, I knew how much trouble we were having building a telescope, building a satellite to carry a six-inch telescope. (laughs) Um, We didn't have rockets that got off the ground at that point, and I think Sputnik had just gotten into the air. Did you tell them they were nuts? No. No. I just didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. I just decided to ignore. Oh, I see. Until I decided I couldn't ignore it anymore. (laughs) you got to do something about it. And then in 1965, there was another summer study, this time at Woods Hole in Massachusetts. Private companies were starting to work on a space telescope, but she didn't like their ideas. Several of the aerospace companies came in with proposals for building one, but carrying man around. So this was something that you know, some private space companies were thinking of, well, you have to have somebody up there with it. Is that kind of what she was fighting against, is that you have to have an observer? You have to have an observer looking through the eyepiece, and, and she was thinking, no, there, you can't do it that way. That's exactly it. She she thought that was completely the backwards way of thinking about it. We were trying to get rid of the atmosphere, and you can, can't, can't really send a man up without an atmosphere. And the other reason is that uh, a man's going to wiggle. Because astronomical objects other than the sun are faint, we need long exposures. Oh, right. (laughs) And I don't know any man who can sit, or woman, who can (laughs) sit still for a half hour without moving even a finger. Well, and I love it because kids sometimes, they, they think of telescopes and they see pictures of the Hubble telescope. And very rarely, but still occasionally, they'll say, well, where's the person? How do, how do you see through it? How do you see through it? I'm like, no, it comes down to us from up above, and they send us the signals. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They, they get it pretty fast. Um, so, yeah, there was questions of who was going to build it, I guess. And so private company versus NASA, and it just NASA seemed to be the right fit. I better jump in and at least let the aerospace companies spend their money on something that made sense. So this is when she organized engineers from NASA and the astronomers, got them all together to come up with the design. Had them sit down together and work out something that the astronomers thought would do what they needed. And it took many, many years. And during this time, she's testing satellites and they're working on a design for the Hubble. And once they had a design, the big thing was getting Congress to approve funding. I know. It's it's <laughs> always so difficult with these long-term space projects because you have to get 
Congress to agree to this. And this is something that, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years in the planning to do. And so you get a congressperson that may or may not be there for 10 years to vote for something in 10 years. That's quite an accomplishment. And, and I think it got canceled several times. The funding got canceled several times. Congress was a problem. Take it. Uh, well, Congress controls the money. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in that way, he's always a problem. That's always a problem. It, it, it kind of sounds a little like a pipe dream in a way. If you think back to then and say, oh, we're going to have a telescope in space and it's going to do all this stuff and it's going to be above the atmosphere and can take multiple day exposures. Um, so, yeah, what do you think yeah, like her, her, her big fights were? Um, she told me they had many, many dinners with Congress. And she kept telling them how important this would be to science. They had questions like, why, why can't you just use the telescopes on Earth? They didn't understand what the benefit would be to have it above the atmosphere. Um, so a lot of it, I think, was just um, teaching them science or teaching how a telescope would work, and then also that this hadn't been done. It's going to cost a lot. And then, of course, when it was ready to go and it was funded and it was built, um, we had the Challenger accident. Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an explosion. Controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. We have no downlink. So, so there was a three-year gap. The Hubble had to go into storage for three years. Simply because NASA wasn't buying anything. Oh wow! Is that so? Long? That's more money. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why were you convinced to fight for it for so long? Well, because I I realized that it was something that astronomers had wanted for most of the century, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that it clearly would do an important job that could not be done from the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that's it. The astronomers really wanted it very much so, and it was a it was clearly going to be a useful instrument. And uh, for that accomplishment of getting it designed and for getting it funded, she became known as Mother of Hubble. Well, out of the legacy of Hubble, I mean, just speaking personally, I I always say that it should go down as one of the greatest scientific instruments ever made. I mean, just the sheer longevity of it. And uh, but, uh, you know, it just it does make you feel like, all right, well, she was a she was a still a uh, she was an astronomer, but still human that she still cared about this telescope. Like, oh, is it going to grow up to be a good telescope it, uh, to be? And, it is. and it's lasted well longer than they expected and still going. So a- absolutely. It's what, 33 years now and more. Yeah, I think something like that. Yep. Are you still surprised that it's in space and it's still sending back images? No, not really. Once it's operating successfully, uh, it can continue to operate for a long time. The plus is Nancy Grace Roman got to live to see the telescope go up there for 
a while. Like, uh, so she got to see the real benefits from this telescope. I think one thing was she just wanted to make sure it was worth what she said. It, it would do what she said it would do. Is there anything you'd still love for the Hubble to answer for you? Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it. I guess the, the question that, I, that almost every astronomer is interested in is how did we all, how did the universe develop in its early days? There's a period about the first 300,000 years uh, that we'll never know because there's no way of observing it. Hmm. But after that, how the galaxies begin, how did stars begin, did stars come first or did galaxies come first, that type of thing. I think she, I asked her if she was still watching all the pictures come in, and she said, oh yes, she was keeping track. When I um, met her, and she was 91, she might have been 92 at that point, she was still giving talks to kids at school and to astronomy groups. And um, yeah, she was still following all that stuff. So I'm, I'm sure she got a few answers, but was very curious about others. Do you have any um, words of encouragement for young girls who might want to follow your footsteps? First, if you're, if you're really set on it, don't let anybody turn, tell you you can't do it. Uh-huh. You can. If you really want to, you can do it. And you've got, you're probably going to have to be stubborn. It's quite as hard to, uh, for a girl to become a scientist today as it was in my generation. But uh, you're still going to be facing obstacles. Yes. It's still a man's field. Secondly, be flexible. If you start down one way and it doesn't work, be willing to try something else. Well, flexibility and stubbornness together, that's a tough combo. Yeah, she she said she was stubborn her whole life, which I think is probably how she got through school, arguing, you know, that she didn't want to take Latin, she wanted to take math. I think that was just part of her. You were definitely taken by her, weren't you? You were, oh, yes. uh, you were very moved by her. Oh, I, I wish I had had more time with her. Wow, there's some moments from that conversation that really stand out. I think finding out um, she was talking about her childhood. How did you discover astronomy and what made you fall in love with it? How her mother didn't especially encourage her to go into science. I blamed it on my mother. She denied it pretty strongly because she was not terribly happy about a woman going into science. Uh, But she took me out as a child. She took me out and showed me the constellations. She said... She talked to her mother about it later in her life, and her mother denied it. And she goes, but you know. Well, I told her that I thought that she indicated that she was not happy with my going into science. (laughs) And uh, she denied it. She said she and my father both wanted me to do what I wanted to do, that that I'd be happy in. On the other hand, she gave me plenty of subtle hints that she was really questioning it. And, you know, she just had these little bits of humor that I liked. I tried to get a third interview, and uh, that day she was talking to some astronomy group. And uh, she died soon after that, so I never got a third interview with her. Oh, my gosh. But we did email back and forth, and she did um, go over my manuscript when I was writing it and correct things. We did have a, a nice little relationship there at the end. 
All right. I'm, I'm out of questions. I'm trying to think of anything I may have missed. I wanted to... Hmm, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just... I was, <laughs> I was just going to say there's no reason why you can't call again if you have some other questions. Oh, thank you so much for, for taking You're time welcome. to talk to me. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thank Bye. you. Well, with such a, a long and storied career, how did you put it all together in a book? Tell us a little <laughs> bit about your your book for uh, for kids and probably for adults, too. That was difficult. And um, trying to pull out the most important parts, trying not to make it too scientific, her quotes in there was important to me. Um, I wanted it to be as accurate as possible using her words. And I did a lot of research so there's a lot of bibliography and timeline at the end if you're if you're interested in more about the Hubble because I didn't really get into the Hubble itself just up to that point where it had been approved. Wow. Well, it's a uh, it's a great uh, great telling of this, and I can it, this is goes to tell everybody doing interviews record them. Like it was so great to hear her actual voice. Like uh, what a great uh, extra uh, bonus for that. Thanks for bringing that in. Oh, I was uh, <laughs> thank goodness I. I had the foresight to do that. And uh, when we had our first telephone interview, I had my little recorder, an old-fashioned recorder, and I put it down next to my phone and had the speaker on. I, and I remember saying, I hope this works. And she laughed, and she said, well, that's the hope we all have, isn't it? <laughs> well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining me today and talking about your new book, uh, Her Eyes Were on the Stars, Nancy Grace Roman, the mother of the Hubble Space Telescope. Thanks so much. Thank you. So last thing I want you all to do here is uh, after you finish listening, I want you to go on the old internet and look up some Hubble Space Telescope pictures. I think the first one I want you to look for is the Eagle Nebula. So just do a search, Eagle Nebula picture Hubble Telescope, and you'll see this amazing picture of this star-forming region. This is a nebula that's creating new stars, like a giant star factory, and you see these pillars of gas and dust, and you see all these great rainbow colors of blue and yellow and red, and never mind that those aren't the actual colors and they photoshopped those colors, but we're going to skip over that because I want you to look at that picture because it's amazing because those pillars of gas are the size of multiple, multiple solar systems. So they're going to be making lots and lots of stars. And so that picture is when I was starting as an astronomer. So in the early 2000s, that was the picture of space. So check that out. And I know people out there, you're saying, well, James Webb's telescope took a picture of that too. It's a lot better and a lot clearer. Yeah, okay, maybe. But just look at the Hubble one, just put them side by side and you're like, which one's prettier? Now, the other picture that I want you to think about is, well, actually there's two more because the, one of the coolest things that the Hubble did that I don't think the James Webb has done yet is take pictures of colliding galaxies. These are you know, humongous structures of millions to billions and billions of stars running into each other. And when I saw these, I was like, wait, what? Galaxies can collide? Like a Milky Way can run into something? And then the final one is the Hubble ultra deep field picture. This is the picture with the longest exposure uh, of the deepest part of space. So basically the telescope aimed at an empty part on the map. There was no stars, there was no galaxies on this part of the chart for astronomers. And they aimed the Hubble telescope at it to see what came back. And after this unbelievably long exposure, 
there's this picture of little dots and little swirls. And in one little picture, it captured five to 10,000 galaxies. So that's my homework for you. Check out those three pictures, Eagle Nebula, Galaxies Colliding, and Ultra Deep Field from the Hubble Space Telescope. I love giving homework on this thing. We got to do this. We got to do a segment. Let's just call this Dean's homework assignment. Go on the internet, check this stuff out. Have a question or comment for the show? You can get in touch with us at lookingup@wvxu.org. And be sure to follow 917 WVXU on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive content from the show that you won't want to miss. Looking Up with Dean Regas is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. Ella Rowan is our show producer, audio engineer, and Hubble Space Janitor. Wait, we're sending you up there to clean up again? It probably needs it. It's been a while since I've been up there. Marshall Verbsky provided additional technical support and fixed all of the lenses in the office to NASA specs. Our theme song is Possible Light by Ziv Moran. I'm Dean Regas, and keep looking up.